Good morning. Welcome to Bethlehem Lutheran Church, where God has called and gathered us here this day to receive his gifts through his word and his sacrament. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. O oh God, save me by your name, and vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ears to the words of my For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. The Old Testament reading for the ninth Sunday after Trinity is from 2 Samuel chapter 22. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, 
and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is your worst enemy? And I'm not talking about yourself, though maybe that's true, or fear or a concept or a philosophy or anything like that. What actual person is your worst enemy? Who is the person in your life who persecutes you the most? The one who seems to get in between you and your goals the most? the one who always seems to be testing you and your desire to love everyone. What are we supposed to do about those enemies? Well, you likely all know the answer to that question. Jesus was quite clear that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So, maybe a better question. What will God do to our enemies? In many ways, that's what our intro it for today is about. So, listen again, therefore, to our intro it, and hear about the fate of our enemies. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies, and your faithfulness put an end to them. O God, save me by your name, and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies." Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put an end to them. In some ways, that seems pretty clear, doesn't it? In your faithfulness, put an end 
to them. And yet, at the same time, recognize what else our introit says. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. In fact, most of this psalm, or most of this part of this psalm, anyways, is actually prayers to our God who is our helper, the one who is the upholder of our life. And so I suppose the question is, do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that God is truly your helper? That he is the one who is in charge of taking care of your life? Do you believe that you will only die when Jesus lets you die? should. He's already proven how much he cares about your life. He's proven how far he was willing to go in order to ensure that you would have eternal life. He, in fact, has already saved us by his name, as our intro it asks him to do. And he did this when he himself came down, took on human flesh, and then died on the cross in order to ensure that eternal life was yours. And that's just what he's already done. Because, make no mistake, he will also vindicate you by his might. The word vindicate means to prove right. To prove that we were right, that he, in fact, was right. And make no mistake, the day will come when he will do this by his might, by his power, using force. But we also recognize that that day is potentially quite far off, and we also hopefully recognize as well that it is not our job to vindicate ourselves by our might, but that when the Lord returns for us, that is when he will do this. Which then brings up the question of what should we do about our enemies here and now? What should we do while they are potentially persecuting us? Getting in between ourselves and our goals and testing us. Making it very, very, very hard to love them as Jesus commanded us to do. Well, perhaps the most loving thing that we can possibly do for them is to bring them to the attention of our God. The very God who, as you just heard, had promised and already successfully upheld our lives, and the one who promises to vindicate us from our enemies. After all, Jesus did tell us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us.
But when we do that, when we pray for those who are our persecutors, for those who are our enemies, even our very worst enemies, what are we praying will happen to them? Are we praying that they will be ended on the last day, that when God comes in his force, that they will end up in hell? Does that seem like the kind of thing that our God wants us to pray for? We forget sometimes that we ourselves were once enemies of God. We forget that we ourselves have sometimes proven to be not only the enemies of ourselves, but even the enemies of fellow Christians. That sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we sin, sometimes we get in the way of other people's salvation. Even now, we still sometimes fail in this way. And yet we don't forget the truth of what God has done for his enemies. We won't forget the truth of what he did on the cross. We will not forget the truth that our Lord loves and desires all people. That most assuredly includes you, even when you still prove to be his enemies occasionally. Even when you still sin against your God and against your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, God still wants you. Which is why he died for you. Which is why he forgives you for your sins which is why he rose to prove that his love and his mercy has overpowered your sin. And so perhaps we really shouldn't be surprised that when we ask God to deal with our enemies, that doesn't always look like we think it should. Because we often want God to come down in his wrath and his judgment upon our enemies because we think they deserve it. And they do. But so do we. And instead of coming down on you in wrath, he came down in mercy. Mercy that saved you and brought you over to be on God's side. Which means that when we ask God to take care of our enemies, that what we should be asking for is for him to accomplish the greatest triumph possible, the greatest victory possible. Which is to say, that God would come down upon them, save them from their troubles, and that he would inspire them to reach out to God in prayer and to set God before themselves. Essentially, the greatest triumph over our enemies that is possible is that the same thing would happen to them that happened to us.
which is to say that they would be saved, that God would come down on them in his mercy, send his Holy Spirit upon them in baptism and through his word and through his very own body and blood, and bring them over to make them your family members, your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's God's goal for our enemies. The salvation and repentance of them. And, make no mistake, if they refuse, just like if we refuse or choose to leave the faith, they will face the wrath of God. But that is the least possible victory, the worst possible victory. Our goal is not the least or the worst. Our goal is the greatest triumph possible, that even our enemies would become our brothers and sisters. And that is our goal because that is God's goal. You can't make it any more clear than that he so loved the world that he sent his only son. He loves your enemy. Loves your enemy just as much as he loves you. And you've seen what he's done for you. Pray, therefore, for your enemy. Pray that God would do the same thing to them that he has done for you. Not because they deserve it, but because that's who God is. God is a redeemer. God is a savior. God loves your enemies and wants them desperately. And you are free to pray that God succeeds in his goal, that God succeeds in saving everyone who it is possible to save even if those people are your worst enemies. For that is what he has already done for you. And you will see this truth, and hopefully you will see your enemies on that day when Christ finally comes and enforces his victory. Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.